Okay. And good morning. Good morning. We're on Green Left Weekly. Well, Green Left Radio. It's not actually Green Left Weekly Radio. <laughs> Although it does happen every week. And yeah. It's, but it is green and left wing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it is ba- and it is a, a radio show ba- yeah. um, based around the Green Left Weekly, um, a weekly um, left wing newspaper. Okay, so um, we have quite a packed program today. Um, we have a special guest called Scott Lewinton, um, who's going to be talking about his new band, mm. um, which um, he um, says will provide kind of like a new model for um, for fundraising to help, um, say, for example, you're a band who mainly plays to support if you're a political band that mainly plays to support political causes, he has this new model that helps the band as well financially while also helping out the the causes um, they are supporting. So that should be an interesting interview. And we'll also be playing some songs from his new band. Um, And we also have an interview with um, the Kurdish community. Um, I forgot his name. What was his name? Uh, Mahmoud. Mahmoud. Um, he will be speaking um, about you know the recent kind of events of Turkish um, Turkey's invasion of Syria, mm. um, and sort of the implications for that. Um, and the last, the next interview. This is one I lined up. I kind of forgot what it was. <laughs> uh, it's Anna Boddenberg from Earthworker Cooperative talking oh, yes. talking about the walk to the valley. Yeah, okay. which is coming up starting on the nineteenth of this month. All right. Uh, um, so, I guess in terms of like, ah, uh, there's what I guess there. All right. <laughs> Hello. I'll turn on the mic. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Right. He isn't on the. Our guest just arrived, but he isn't on the mic yet. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, interesting. Uh, an interesting week. Yep. In the news. Well, the most um, recent news I read um, was apparently Corey Bernardi got like 15,000 signatures um, for his petition about making amendments to Section 18C of um, of the Racial Discrimination Act, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Um, basically, he wants to um, legalise um, hate speech. Hate speech, um, because you know. Because um, if there's one thing there's not enough of in this country, it's racist <laughs> hate speech. Yeah. Well, but it's and, and racism in general. But it's all about free speech, you know. Don't, oh yeah. Like um, freedom of speech. That's that's the basic kind of argument. Oh, because at the moment, any time some racist goes to open their mouth, they just can't do it because of all the restrictive laws that we've got. And that's why we don't see racism on a, basically a daily basis in this country <laughs> across all media platforms. But once they make these changes, there'll be so much freedom of speech. Yep. It's just going to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. We're going to be America. <laughs> okay, okay, is that what you mean? Okay. <laughs> uh, welcome. Yeah, thank Hello. you very much for having me. Yeah. I'm sorry I wasn't here earlier, the um, public transport system. They just decide to come whenever they want to come. So mm. trains and trams and stuff, you know. So, mm. but, but apparently that's 99% accurate as well. Mm, okay. Yeah, um, so. The trains usually, um, they, it's 98% um, on time apparently. or 90, 98%, yeah, okay. Or 95 I wonder who's uh, taking those statistics. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> that's another, another example of... Um, 
business, you know, regulating itself. Mm. <clears throat> uh, so, Scott, tell us about the same boat. Yes, well, the same boat is a project that that um, came out of uh, basically a frustration, or yeah, a frustration of not having enough cultural uh, input into the uh, left and progressive political process. And um, we think there needs to be that that side of it needs to have uh, needs to be strengthened because mm. there's several uh, because there's several things that uh, you know it, 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 purposes it serves. One is to raise the issues because you've got a microphone and platform that sort of stuff. Mm. Two to raise morale because it's not, let's face it, it's not easy being a left activist in this in a country like Australia. And three, it's to raise, help raise money for people who are activists, and that's what the, that's what we want to do with this band. Is that um, um, we want to be a band of the left mm. yeah, and progressive movement, and and to support and help raise, uh, build the left, basically, you know. And that's and that's why we want to do. That's why we wrote the songs we did. That's why we want to play the music we want to play and um, connect with people who. Are struggling for social, racial, environmental, and economic justice, and right. it doesn't matter what you know in what capacity. You know anybody who does that for me gets respect. And what's your? What do you play? Uh, yeah, well, um, it's a five-piece band. So it's, it's a guitar uh, riff-based um, rock band. Yeah. I'm I'm a, I'm the singer, and I used nice. to be a percussionist. Yeah. And um, the problem we've had is that. Uh, you know, especially amongst activists, but just in the working class in general, is exhaustion. You know, and people are working longer and longer hours, or less and less, trying to get their heads above water. Mm. And so, this side of it, the cultural side of it, takes a beating because you know, oh, it, one, you need to work to get you know long, longer hours to keep your head above water, mm. and two, that takes you away from actually, you know, your head's full of. Yeah. You know, trying to survive at work and all the bullshit that your, your boss is putting on you and the longer hours and exhaustion. Mm. And you can't actually, and you, you find it more and more difficult to try and... To fit it in. Yeah, to fit it in. And even, even just like compose and that sort of stuff, to think about the issues, mm. you know, in a, in a, in a, in an artistic way. Mm. You know, you can, you, a lot of, you can get angry about stuff, but to p- try and put it in a sort of a, an artistic way, you know, it, it, um, you're exhausted. You're exhausted all the time. So, um, you know, we—that's a—that's a major problem for all working people. I—I I, I think exhaustion is the major problem that we've got. Is that people have got less and less and less every year, mm. and, and trying to keep their heads above water, and working harder and harder and harder, and exhaustion. I, I get on the train here on the way here. You know, zombie. everybody, everybody's like a zombie. Yeah, and, and on the way home, everybody's like a zombie. You know, it's mm. like it, it's like it's almost like it's an unwritten law not to say anything. Mm. You know, to be completely silent on the train. You know, so, and I'm thinking, is this is what's going to be our life for the rest of, you know, for the rest of our life, right? And it's going to get worse and worse and worse, and ex- exhaustion, and then you just you you just die, mm. and that's it. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, that's for me, that's an untenable life. So, part of what we're doing with the band is to say, okay, well, there's it's, there's also going to be fun as well. You know. It's, Cultural a- activism's got to be fun. It can't just be, you know, you're organising, organising demonstrations, which is very important, or organising meetings, which you know, in, they're important and interminable. You know, there's just meetings after meeting after meeting. It's got to be, you got to. It's not my revolution. You can't dance to it. You know what I mean? So, 
So we that's mm. that's what we, that's the role we want to sort of help good, play. Good quality, uh, <coughs> yeah, art and music uh, as well. And you you've you used to be in the conch, so you've uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not new to this uh, practice of uh, fusing activism and music. No, no. Well, uh, the problem the problem we had with the conch, which was a f- these a f- bunch of fantastic people, everybody had the you know. They did it for the right reasons. Life got in the way. Jobs, having to upgrade, upskill, mortgages, children, blah, 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 blah. And, and uh, in the end, we were just, it was just so difficult to get together, we couldn't do it. And that, that was really, that was really the, the impetus to get another band happening, which was, which was able to, in fact, there's guys around, you know, 45 to 55, who, and we're just getting structured out of the workforce, so we had the energy and time to get together and put a band together. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and we thought, okay, well, we're, we're, we've basically, you know, capitalism doesn't give a shit about it, about, about us anymore. You know, well, we're going to put a band together and um, and talk about the issues. Yeah, nice. Um, so. well, uh, <coughs> we should perhaps play one of your tracks. Okay. We've got the album. Is there a particular song you could recommend and um, maybe tell us a bit about it? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's probably Fool's Black Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that song because it's sort of like a it's a wake-up song in the morning type song. It's not like a smash-in-the-face type song. It's, it's, about, um, it's about the lunacy and the, and the insanity, which is probably the same thing, I just wanted to emphasise it, of building a massive coal mine mm. right next to the Gulf uh, of uh, Great Barrier Reef mm. and then digging digging all the stuff out of the Great Barrier uh, to make, you know, laneways to take coal. After all, after everything that's been said about coal and, and having to ch- change to a different economy, a new green economy, mm. they get to go ahead for something like this. You mm. know, it's just these people, our leaders are insane. They're just completely insane in my opinion. So... Fool's Black Gold is a, is a song about um, black, the black gold, like oil and coal and that, the fossil fuels, is um, for, for foolish. It's for fools. So. All right. Yeah, tune to 3CR. You're listening to Green Life Radio. Uh, I've got myself, Zane, and... Jacob and Scott. Special guest, Scott Lewington, from <coughs> Same Boat. And we just heard Fool's Black Gold by the Same Boat. <laughs> It's a, a, that's right, a good segue for the, what happened to the coal seam gas victory this week in Victoria and, uh, and as you said, the, the Northern Territory, new government, Northern Territory. Yes, so, uh, this week the Andrews government has announced a ban, a permanent ban on coal seam gas, uh, exploration and production in Victoria. And that comes off the back of a bunch of community campaigning. And then also this week, or last weekend, um, the Northern Territory elections happened and the Liberals got smashed. I think the Liberals ended up getting three seats out yep. of 25. Um, and um, some um, some people um, argue that it's in light of, you know, all the... It's like a, a, um, a vote, you know, against the sort of inhumane torture of, you know, children, in Aboriginal children in detention um, and... Um, because apparently there was a there was an indigenous candidate who um, was running as an independent and was running on a platform of Shredi. He didn't win, but he actually won quite a good amount of the vote. Though I don't 
know the complete statistics around that. Um, but that is, there's, that is like, you know, exciting time that there is a shift. But also what's interesting is in terms of like state versus federal, it seems like the state seems to be mostly dominated by labor, yet the federal is obviously because the liberals just won the last federal election dominated by the liberals, although they run, um, the last federal election they won by quite a slim majority. Clearly they don't have like, uh, a, Great man, uh, mandate, especially with all the other third party candidates. Well, one of them is Pauling Hansen winning mm-hmm. seats, but, um, but they, that is sort of, a, it's interesting times, I guess, in terms of the political, uh, in terms of politics for Australia right now, especially in light of the Northern Territory state mm-hmm. election. Yeah, I, I just, I'm really blown away by the way they try to justify it. You know, it's like, here it is right in front of everybody and then they're trying, they're trying to he's trying to say what well, the chief minister is trying to say oh the it's abc's got it out for him i'm thinking <laughs> you're completely missing the point mm. mate these <laughs> videos of little kids getting beaten up yeah. that's all a big conspiracy <laughs> yeah tear gas and stuff and then yeah. and then in the context where it's overwhelmingly aboriginal mm. you know and oh we will we'll just ignore that that part of it you know um that these kids were acting out, so we, so we got to torture them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. Mm. And uh, so one of the other aspects <coughs> of the Labor Party's campaign in the Northern Territory was to campaign for a ban on um, coal seam gas exploration and production as well, which was significant because. Lock the Gate have reported that petroleum leases cover something like 90% of the Northern Territory. Oh. So it's... Uh... There's actually another positive news story that actually just happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, um, many people might be aware of... Um, there's been an ongoing campaign against, um, to, um, call on, against Wilson Security um, because Wilson Security um, have a lot of mu- invest quite heavily in the detention offshore detention centres, mm. um, and it's just been announced that there'll be um, Wilson Security will be breaking up all their contracts with the detention industry, um, <laughs> which is um, which is actually quite a big victory um, for the movement, especially um, since there was actually quite a group, um, a small group of dedicated activists dedicated to like. Um, doing a lot of actions around Wilson security. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there was actually a number of planned actions this month. Um, and I wonder, in light of this victory, that there's any actually point in these actions because they're specifically aimed at Wilson security divesting from the detention industry. And they've already run before they even had to do their, neck, their, their series of actions this set, um, September, which is great. Hmm. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. You, can feel, you, can, you can feel the, the refuge. The, a refugee and asylum seeker movement getting stronger and stronger, can't you? I was at the, I was down there on Saturday, and uh, that was full basically. And then the big march and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I, I really, I really think there's a momentum that's happening in favour of uh, bringing, closing these detention centres and bringing refugees here. And I think, yeah, and, um, I think I remember we were having a discussion like earlier that, um, in an earlier show about, you know, 
if they keep if they keep if they um, the fact that the refugee movement is starting to broaden and put the pressure on from other angles, for example, the um, companies like Wilson Security, mm. and, for, and of course there's actually been motions passed by there was actually a motion passed by the City of Yarra Council. Um, where they would um, divest from um, from companies that invest in detention, which I, is, I guess, another sort of win mm. um, there. And they, I think the city of Yarra is the only one, along with Moreland City Council, that has passed a motion regarding divesting from um, industries that invest in detention. Mm-hmm. So, right. so, moral of the story... It's good to have a bit of socialist representation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, the, both the city of Yarra and Moreland um, have one thing and have a thing in common. Um, they both have a socialist as a councillor, and in fact, it was the socialist, uh, the lone socialist councillor who drafted the motions mm. to, to put um, in, to the council. In each of those cases. Yeah, in each of those cases. Yeah, cool. Steve Jolly and Sue Bolton keeping it staunch. <laughs> And actually, maybe there's actually another positive news story, I guess. For, uh, there's so much positive news, surprisingly. Mm. But um, this is in the latest Green Left Weekly, um, Green Left Weekly, and I don't think we've reported on it, um, even though it happened in August 18th. Um, but the Victorian um, government announced new legislation in um, August 18th aimed at simplifying the process for trans and gender diverse people to change the sex market on their birth certificate records. Um, and Lisbeth um, Latham writes in this article about you know how it's an uh, important kind of step for e- equality um, because you know there was um, there was requi- um, there was previously there was requirements um, for trans and gender diverse individuals to go through sex reassignment surgery and um, which is usually quite expensive, quite prohibitive, and of course not all trans and ch- gender diverse people want to go through that process. Hmm. Um, and so there, there was actually a sh- quite a strict requirement on um, being able to. You weren't able to change your gender on the birth certificate unless you're uh, unless you went through that. But um, um, but these new changes will actually remove one of those barriers, um, which I think is a, a good win. Hmm. Um, and of course, um, there's also. Um, there's also additional change um, that um, that is ending the requirement for families of transgen- um, trans and gender diverse children who wish to access stage two hor- hormones, which is the hormones associated with their firm gender, having to go to the f- family court to demonstrate their the, sh- the child is able to give informed consent. Um, which this the reason for that. Um, this is argued that it's um, as Elizabeth writes here, which is a process that is both potentially traumatic and very expensive. And Australia was the only country um, in in the only country in the world that has such a legal requirement. <laughs> of course, there's still um, there's still a long way to go um, um, to eliminate the legal and medical barriers that confront trans and gender diverse um, um, people in in Australia. But and even more in addressing the high levels of social stigma and discrimination faced by trans and gender diverse people. But these proposed changes kind of like you know reflect represent a very um, good step forward um, mm. in addressing in those inequalities. Yeah, I heard a um, I heard a good story on another um, uh, state-funded broadcaster, shall we say, <laughs> one afternoon. And it was about a young trans woman and her family going through that process with the family court to get access to hormone treatment. So this was a young trans woman. She was totally, you know, she was a woman. She's like, I want to transition. 
this is really important for teenage trans people because they're at that stage of their life where hormones kick in and if they're looking to, um, you know, not have a bunch of male hormones flood their body if they do not identify as male, that's a pretty crucial time to have access to that hormone treatment. And this process where you've got to go to the court and get approval delays that whole uh, access to hormone treatment at a very crucial time. And in this case, this trans woman is completely, yes, I want to do this hormone therapy. Her family are completely on board. But just the clunkiness of the court process means it drags out and it takes a long time. And um, I can't remember this woman's name, but it was really... um, it was really impressive that the, the the level of support that that she had from her family, and they were really determined that they ended up being able to get access to that hormone treatment in time. Uh, but they were like, "We want to make sure that other young people are not put in this situation, and we want to win those changes to the legal system." So, yeah, we might have to see if we can get an interview with that uh, yeah. with that young woman because it's. Right, so in terms of time, we have two minutes until our next interview. So I'll just quickly um, relay a quick um, quick news story. Um, a quick news story, um, which is that um, the WA Council calls for the changing date of Australian Day, which is in recognition, um, recognition of the reality of Aboriginal dispossession. Um, City of Fremantle councillors voted on August 24th to scrap its Australian Day fireworks event held every year on January 26th, saying it will open public discussions for an alternative date to hold an event to celebrate being Australian. Um, Fremantle Mayor Brad Pirot said he hoped the vote could lead to a wave of change across Australia that will see Australia Day fundamentally shift to a more inclusive and respectful approach. Nice. And that's been attracting a bit of uh, bit of a stir in, yeah. in the media. Of course, the mainstream media, I think one of the mm, news outlets, the, their main photo accompanying that story was a photo of a burning flag, <laughs> a burning Australian flag, which I have no problem with. But yeah. it's probably not the most mm, subtle way to mm, bring that story to a mainstream audience that may yeah. or may not have nationalist ideas about Australia Day. Yeah. Well, you certainly wouldn't want it re- reflecting human rights and, and uh, inclusiveness, would you, at <laughs> Australia Day? So I can see what people are angry about. <laughs> and uh, once again, this shows the benefits of having a socialist <laughs> at a local <laughs> government level. Yeah. Oh, there must be some coincidence. No, it's just coincidence. <clears throat> totally coincidental. Yeah. Of course, uh, <laughs> Socialist Alliance Councillor Sam Wainwright, uh, part of Frio Council over there as well. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, ongoing supporter of Aboriginal land rights campaigns. Should mention, of course, coming at you from the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation once again this morning. And, uh, always, always, always will be Aboriginal land. Okay, I might, I think, before our next interview, I'll go quickly to, uh, um, to announcements. All right, we're back on Green Left um, Radio, so let's get ready for our next interview. This morning we have special guest Mahmoud Karaman, 
and Mahmoud is a spokesperson for the Kurdish Democratic Community Center of Victoria. And uh, we've been keeping an eye on developments in Kurdistan and in the, the Kurdish part of uh, northern Syria, um, including Kobani. And um, uh, yeah, we're pretty keen to hear from uh, Mahmoud this morning about the latest developments over there. So, welcome, Mahmoud. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, so, there's, uh, I've got a press release here. On the 24th of August, the Turkish army occupied the city of um, Jarablus. Um, would you be able to tell us a bit about the significance of that? Yes, uh, sure. Look, Jarablus is uh, very close to the Turkish border. It's uh, populated by uh, Arab, mainly Arabs, Kurds, and other minorities as well, Turkmen, including the Turkmen. And Turkish army entered that, and supposedly with the so-called uh, Syrian Free Army. And Turkey had a long time goal to enter or invade in Syria. When the uh, conflict started in Syria, uh, Turkish state and Turkish army was very keen to enter, but they couldn't enter the, uh, Syria. And the, however, uh, they, uh, this invasion was a handover by Islamic State to Turkey. In fact, there wasn't any fighting. And as you know, Islamic State uh, can hold a city for a month and against any uh, forces. But uh, they, within three hours, uh, Turkish army and uh, so-called Syrian free armies members, they entered the uh, empty streets of uh, Jarablus. And we have some local uh, people and uh, news coming from local people, sorry. They were saying a week before this invasion, uh, Islamic State members, they evacuated the, uh, they withdrawal from the Jarablus. Some of them went El Bab area and some of them went uh, to Turkey. And some local state claims some of those Islamic State members, they just changed their clothes and shaved. And then they enter Jarablus back with uh, Turkey. But Turkey's main aim, I should uh, say this, is not to really Islamic State or or any other uh, jihadist groups over there. They don't want the Kurds and those groups with Kurds, with uh, uh, other minorities like Assyrian, Armenian, or Turkmen or Arabs to have uh, kind of democratic federal uh, system in northern Syria. Mm. Uh, therefore, as soon as they enter Jarablus, they start to bombard democratic Syrian forces and uh, military council positions uh, south of the Jarablus, which, which uh, um, there is no uh, any member of uh, Islamic State doesn't control south and east of uh, uh, Jarablus, but they start to bomb uh, position of YPG as well, not the Islamic State. Yeah, right. And uh, Minbij had previously been taken by Syrian Democratic forces. They kicked ISIS out of that area. So sure, they, fo- they fought for that about 73 three days. Hmm. And their the next goal was to uh, move uh, more uh, uh, west and El Bab area and others area and then able to join the um, Kurdish canton Afrin to the rest of the uh, uh, northern Syria, hmm. and therefore Turkey is just uh, tried. Uh, Turkey's main goal was to prevent this. That if 
Syrian Democratic Forces able to uh, control Turkish border, obviously uh, Turkey couldn't uh, have this supply uh, to uh, go to a jihadist. And the Turkey's border is a major uh, point where all jihadists and their uh, armed supplies uh, go through and uh, easily. Mm. And so, so with Jarablus, it sounds like the 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 Turkish army have basically kind of done a tag team with Daesh. So, uh, sorry, they've done like a like a wrestling move, a tag team where one wrestler jumps out and then the other wrestler jumps in. Definitely, definitely. The, that, look, uh, there wasn't any fighting at all. Just within a few hours, the Turkish army entered there. Uh, as everyone knows, what happened in uh, Minbij and uh, or Raqqa or Mosul, uh, ISIS is very capable to defend uh, cities and towns. They have experience. They wouldn't, uh, within a few hours, they wouldn't, uh, I mean, ha- uh, be defeated. Uh, with, uh, it wasn't really big forces, any, uh, major forces anyway. It just handover. There was, we believe there was some kind of uh, uh, agreement prior to this invasion between Islamic State and, and Turkey. Otherwise, it wouldn't. It was very. It was a scenario, very comic. Um, anyone who takes armed conflict serious, um, they, they could see there wasn't any conflict, any uh, fighting. Just uh, handover, change mm. hands but from Turkey to. Uh, and uh, Islamic State moved more uh, uh, west, El Bab, but Turkey uh, instead of going behind them, they stick with uh, to fighting with the Kurdish forces and Syrian democratic forces. Mm. So it's uh, yeah, further evidence, as if any was needed, of this very close relationship, uh, symbiotic kind of relationship between the Turkish government and, and ISIS. It is, but there is another uh, point need to be made. Um, international powers, like uh, without Russian permission or uh, USA permission, Turkey army couldn't enter to Syria. And somehow they let Turkey to uh, enter in, in Syria. We don't know what they got from Turkey. Definitely they must have some, something from Turkey as well. And they were so quiet for, for a while. And still they're not, uh, they're not really against. They just, uh, they're just sometimes warning Turkey, but this is not really serious. Uh, we wonder why they uh, let Turkey to um, enter uh, Jarablus, which Turkish, uh, I mean, this makes Islamic State even stronger. Otherwise, Syrian Democratic Forces and Kurdish Forces together, they would uh, clear um, northern Syria from uh, Islamic State. But by Turkey entering there, they, in fact, protect Islamic State. And USA and Russia, they claim they fight against Islamic State. And then why they not uh, saying anything against Turkish position. In, uh, in fact, as I said, uh, without uh, their permission, Turkey couldn't enter uh, and uh, couldn't bomb also. Turk, uh, I mean, Turkish uh, warplane, they couldn't uh, uh, fly over uh, Syria. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, Russia let Turkey to, uh, Turkish, uh, sorry, air force to fly over Syria because it, it's controlled by Russia almost in, uh, in that area. This is very strange as well. Mm. Especially considering previously, uh, was it the uh, uh, was it the the Turkish shot down a Russian plane that? Yes, yes, did. Since then, 
I mean, Russia didn't let any Turkish uh, uh, air force to fly over uh, Syria. Mm. And recently, Turkish president and Russian president they they meet after, uh, uh, they had a meeting after that incident. It, it's been um, it's been for a while. They their relationship was very bad, and suddenly it's. Uh, I mean, this probably this shows uh, uh, how imperialist works. Uh, how mm. international powers work. Uh, when it comes to their uh, national interest, they don't really care about uh, uh, other people. I, I guess. Uh, I mean, the history shows us they they can. I mean, they are they can be one day enemy, next day uh, ally. Uh, it's, it's all about uh, uh, their uh, interest. Hmm. Um. Yeah, it's not not very good for Kurdish people getting squashed by the competing. No, machines. Unfortunately, there since I mean after the First World War, there's a statue in the Middle East, and we, uh, the this the West doesn't want this to change. Kurds to have any power. I mean, uh, the main reason, especially Kurds in in Rojava in northern Kurdistan, they want a democratic, uh, autonomous, uh, like a democratic communal federal system hmm. for everyone, not for the Kurds. They wanna a more uh, equalitarian system. They want social justice. They ask for women rights or minority rights, and and all this because of this view. And they they don't really support uh, Kurds. Mm. Ideologically, Kurds want, uh, uh, I mean, fairer or, or let's say democratic socialist uh, or, or Middle East. Mm. I mean, this this idea never uh, gonna be supported by USA or. Russia or, 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 or Turkey. Anyway, according to Turkey, Kurds shouldn't have any right at all in any anywhere of the world because their state uh, based on denial of Kurdish identity, and still they they don't want uh, even existence of Kurds. Hmm. All right. Um, so, is is there any? Um does the Democratic Community Center have any upcoming uh, events? Uh, how can people here sort of show solidarity or kind of protest this Turkish Look, uh, incursion? Uh, many, uh, many protests, and uh, also time to time our uh, comrades from uh, uh, Socialist Alliance, they come and join us, t- thanks to them and also other, other uh, Australians who are concerned and come and support Kurds. This is not only Kurdish uh, uh, fight, Kurdish mm. struggle. I mean, we are asking for rights of the, anyone in uh, that area also around the world. We want um, social justice. We want uh, a democratic, uh, real democratic uh, uh, system. And we uh, we don't have anything within the next few days. But when when it happens, usually we on Facebook or, or we advertise on on media release and on. Australian for Kurdistan. Uh, also, they uh, uh, they advertise and they they probably can find out uh, through uh, Australian for Kurdistan and uh, by getting in touch in our uh, center. Um, sure. uh, but soon, probably we'll have an, uh, another probably dem- demonstration or, or meeting about what's happening in Kurdistan. And because situation in North Kurdistan in Turkey is very bad as well, it's getting worse. Mm. Yes, with this uh, crackdown by the uh, by the regime. There. All right. Well, um, we'll uh, we'll have to wrap it up. But uh, thank you very much for the report. And uh, thanks, yeah. thanks for this opportunity.
Yeah, no worries. And we'll keep uh, passing on information. Keep an eye on the Australians for Kurdistan website and, and Facebook to, to look out for local events. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Eves, thank Yeah, thank you very thank much. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, you are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. All right, so... All right, we're back on Green Left um, Radio with... Um Ah, so um, this is one, let's guess, one important news story that um, we, I think we really urgently need to discuss. Um, but many have um, heard um, in the Colour Gurus Aboriginal community is in mourning um, and in protest after, um, after, the, after the murder of a 14-year-old Indigenous boy, um, Eli Dolhi. Alleged um, murder alleged, at, at this um, stage. Yeah, well... Um, the, a, but the, but the, the, I guess the main point of protest is he was run over by a 15, 55 year old, um, man. And it was not on a, uh, road. The, the car had left the road and had kind of, it's alleged, the, followed this young boy down and, uh, yeah, the place where he was run over, it's not like it was at the side of a road or something. It was pretty, uh, Pretty, pretty um, outrageous circumstances, and, yeah. you'd, you'd have to say. And what's, I guess, um, even more outrageous, and there's a, a really good article on Neil Matilda, which I won't be able to recap of, by Chris Graham. Mm. Um, but this comes in, like, you know, the context of, you know, histories of, you know, Aboriginal deaths in custody and, yeah. um, you know, yeah, many innocent boys being killed and, and so on and murdered and... Um, the media has been quick to paint these protests as a riot, um, like, uh, and... This is in uh, Kalgoorlie just a couple of days ago. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> and the, the mainstream media has been quick to sort of vilify, and, of course, there was even that thing, there was even an attempt to actually vilify the victim himself um, by arguing, oh, the bike he was riding on was stolen, um, trying to argue that he was... He deserved to die, which well, is... Well, that, that, you know, he, he obviously should be executed for stealing a bike. <laughs> Shouldn't mm. he? That, if that indeed he, he did steal it, because one of the <coughs> um, reports that I saw going around social media was that this young boy actually uh, owns two motorbikes of his own, so... But it, yeah, but even then, whether he was on a stolen bike, or it, not, even yeah. then, you know, we d- so you, you st- steal a bike, you, d- you don't deserve to be run down. Yeah, yeah. vigilante fashion. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's um, it's the same kind of argument, the same kind of argument pushed by the um, pushed um, that the police use in um, when they um, in a- uh, America, when the police um, indiscriminately kill mm. African Americans. There's always um, this argument that oh, he was. He, um, they always try to make some argument for his supposed criminality. Yeah, yeah. Um, or he was apparently, he apparently shoplifted before we shot yeah, him, yeah, despite yeah. the fact that they didn't know he, um, they had no idea 
um, in a lot of these cases, they had no idea. In fact, but regardless, the fact that whatever this individual did before his death did not does not justify his murder. It's totally mm. totally irrelevant. Mm. Totally irrelevant. Mm. And um, I think um, I think <laughs> Chris Graham in um, his new Matilda article, article kind of makes the argument that you know. It's actually not um, irrational at all that the, Ab- um, the Aboriginal community is up in arms about this because this is, again, it's been happening for years. This is probably the fact that they're starting to, you know, it's, um, there's always this thing about, you know, in the media where um, whenever um, a group of sort of African or black um, a minority um, protest, it's always called an up- um, a riot. Mm-hmm. When, um, but yet, um, and... Yet when white when it's like you know white people actually rioting it's it's usually never painted in the same same fashion especially like at a sports Ram, game or a rambunctiousness. Pub <laughs> mm. yeah, and, the, and the example that or the parallel that Chris Graham drew, drew was on <coughs> uh, Palm Island in 2004 when Mulrungi Damaji was uh, savagely beaten to death in a cell by. Uh, police officer Chris Hurley uh, there was a uprising there and they burnt the police station to the ground and that is what separated the case of Maranji Dumaji from so many other black deaths in custody and meant that even though Chris Hurley was never charged with murder uh, and even though he not only got a slap in the wrist but ended up with a promotion mm-hmm. Nonetheless, the amount of scrutiny that that was brought to that death of to that murder in custody was a direct result of the community there, you know, having an uprising and burning that police station to the ground. So mm-hmm. the template is these things would be ignored mm-hmm. unless you make a lot of noise and mm-hmm. make a scene. So but these are also direct and indirect results of governments not implementing the Royal Commission. On d- into black deaths in custody. So, if you don't, if if they've gone through this massive royal commission, what thirty years ago, hmm. and then and it rec- it's got three hundred and thirty recommendations about how you prevent black deaths in custody, and yet not one government, Labor, Liberal, implemented, I don't think one um, recommendations from royal deaths in custody, and then this start, you know, deaths in custody, and 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 uh, you know. Deaths like this, where the, you remember the, remember where the, in Northern Territory, there was, there was those guys, four guys who drove along a riverbed, yeah, terrorizing in people. In Alice Springs. In, in, yeah, in Alice Springs. And then, and, and then they, they killed get, someone. And yeah, they beat this, beat this poor guy to death. Hmm. And then the, then the magistrate says, oh, well, you know, these guys are, you know, upstanding yeah. citizens and, you know. Great blokes, apart yeah, yeah. from when they, yeah, the kick, kick someone, to death, someone yeah. to death. So you only get between one and four years for murdering somebody, you know. Mm. So all it, it it creates this environment where people think, oh, I can get away with this. It's not a problem. Yeah. Like cops, in America, I can get away. I don't, no one's gonna, no one's gonna um, prosecute me. There's not mm. there's not been one prosecution of a pol- of any cops in Australia. Mm. Of all the hundreds and hundreds of people, Aboriginal people who died in custody or in mm. um, being arrested. There's not one prosecution. Prosecution—it's just—it's it's outrageous. Hmm. 
Yeah. Well, um, just on a no- uh, quick another note in the same <coughs> relation to topic, there's, uh, I'm pretty sure on September the 10th, um, though I don't think a set time has been announced, it's um, yes, the Facebook I, event I from September last night, 10th to the 12th. If there's an activist calendar... Yep. There will be, um, in, to support the Kalgoorlie um, Aboriginal noon. community, um, there will be a protest um, on Saturday the 10th of September. Yeah, it's at the State Parliament of Victoria from 12 noon till 2pm. Mm. Justice for Elijah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I won't be able to be there because I'll be in training for free CR. <laughs> <laughs> but my, I, I still extend my solidarity, regardless. Yeah, word. Yeah, there's already several hundred people uh, in attendance. So that looks like a pretty grassroots uh, event that's just been put together by some, you know, concerned members of the community or the Aboriginal community. But obviously, there's a lot of interest in that. So that's uh, could could be quite big. Um, well. We should uh, maybe play another song from the same boat. Can I just, um, we, uh, this song's called Billy Brewer, and it's based on uh, a friend of mine's cousin who was part of the Stolen Generation, and he was um, stolen as a kid, and then he was put in a Catholic institution, mm. and then he was... You know, raped by priests and and got into fights and became totally post you know traumatized by the whole thing. Then he was taken by a family and couldn't fit into that family. Became an alcoholic. Then he was framed for framed for a murder and put in prison and he the he was killed in prison. So so it's loosely based on that story. So it's called Billy Brewer. Hmm. Alright, you're on uh oh. Oh. accidentally I Whoopsie <laughs> Yeah, sorry for that technical I accidentally <laughs> played a song. Uh, <laughs> uh you're on three C R. Uh it's Zane and Jacob and we've got special guest Scott Lewington from Same Boat. And uh that was one of the songs from the album. What was it called again, sorry? It's called Billy Billy Brewer. Billy Brewer. Yeah, yeah. Member of the Stolen Generation. Yeah. yeah. Who was uh, killed in uh, in jail? Yeah, so in suspicious circumstances, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Didn't uh, know whether it was a screw or whether somebody killed him, but he was murdered there. Hmm. <coughs> um. So, what's uh, how can people get their hands, their digital hands, on some same boat <laughs> music? How can people? get same boat mm. books for some kind of activist yeah. gig what's okay. uh, you just get on the website the same boat dot band mm-hmm. not org not uh, not com but band the same boat dot band oh I didn't know there was a, a band yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's apparently you can do that now so yeah. <laughs> and that just made sense same boat dot band yeah. um, and uh, if you get on there you got it's got all the it's got what we stand for it's got all the songs it's got um, the way you can buy the music um, and it's got the contact details of us there. So anybody who wants us to, you know, help build them, who's, you know, that, that stand, as we've said, stand, have to stand for social, environmental, economic and racial justice, we're there for you. So use us. We're a resource. Word. Yeah. All right. And your All music's right. pretty good. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's <coughs> sweet. And... Um, yeah, so I guess 
It's, uh, I was having a bit of a chat to you last night mm. and you've kind of made a conscious decision just to prioritise the quality production of, of music, mm. having a good sound system mm. Mm. Um, so, and doing it really well. And yeah, because if you d- if you don't, step people back a bit from other aspects of yeah, the access yeah. community just yeah. to to do yeah. that chunk of work yeah, really well. Yeah. The, 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 as I said, you know, you get uh, so many things you got to do on the left because it's, it's there's so many issues, and we're not big enough to, that that it can accommodate everybody and what they want to do because there's so much to do. That yeah, we had to stand back, step back, and we had to have give the space and time to be able to produce the stuff we've done. Now that we've done that, mm. we want to get back into it, right? So we've got a, we've got a body of work that we that we've produced, and now we want to help the left and progressive movements, environmental movements, you know, grow. So yeah, good stuff. Mm. Well, watch this space. Keep an mm. eye out for the same boat at uh, upcoming. Mm, fundraisers, protests, and other related things. Mm. And probably, I imagine, even a few pub gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going we're to do our own stuff as well. But, it, yeah. but as I said, every time we do a gig, it, we want to do it with a movement mm. or, or, or whatever you know campaign there is. Half the, half the money that we sell from our, our CD, our album, mm. will go to that campaign. So it's sort of like instead of, instead of the, the label... Record label, you go through a record label who rip you off mercilessly. We want to partner and make de facto label of the movements that we're with. So they get, the, they get, they will also get money for, you know, f- if we get involved with them, that's what we want to do. We want to give them half our proceeds. So. Yeah, nice. So, Reverse yeah. engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, 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 the label thing's dead for musicians. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a dead duck. And it's, it's for me, most musicians, it's just a, a waste of time, in my opinion. Mm. We got we have to have a new t- paradigm, musical paradigm. So, sweet. All right. Well, Scott Lewington, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much Jane, for coming good, in. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you again soon. Good on you. Thanks, Jane. Okay. All right. So it's time for activist calendar. Indeed. Okay, let me find it here. Okay, so we have um, t- happening today, um, there's going to be a public meeting, um, protests and rebellion. Um, artists, um, and it's about, um, it's part of the Melbourne Writers Festival, um, and there's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to feature the artist and journalist Molly Crabble, who came to prominence when she was arrested during the Occupy movement. And um, this will, she, will, um, she will be discussing the power of art as a protest tool with Omar Musa, and it'll be at 1 p.m. at the Acme, the Cube in Federation Square. I'm thinking of going to that, but I'm not sure if I have time, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, also, if you're interested in picking up the latest copy of the Green Left Weekly, there will be a store happening at uh, what happens every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. at Flinders Street. Yeah. Um, there will be some sellers um, distributing the Green Left Weekly and other activist material like upcoming rallies and events. T-shirts, badges, yep. books. 
you get yourself a copy of the Communist Manifesto. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I think usually there will be. You'll have to go to the Resistance Center for that because we oh. usually don't have. They usually don't have books on their stores. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. but they do have badges. Um, now on tomorrow at one p.m. Um, there'll be uh, a pro a rally against um, uh, against victim blaming and slut shaming. It's the Slut Walk Melbourne, and it's going to be happening at one p.m. State Library, Swanson Street, for a march at City um, Federation Square. Also happening on that Saturday will be a public meeting with Henry Reynolds. I think this is also part of the Melbourne Writers Festival, as far as I know. Um, it's going to be Henry Reynolds' Unnecessary Wars, um, who is an author who has, um, who writes on, who's, um, written on Australians' enrollment in world, um, in the Iraqi war. And they'll be at 4pm at the Acme Cinema One Federation Square. Um, there'll be a public forum also tomorrow in Glen Waverley um, from a progressive and um, creative and popular Sri Lankan artist. I have no... Jaya Falaka Bandara. Bandara. And um, he um, has been... He's going to be speaking at the Glen Waverley Community Centre at 6pm for a $25 entry. Um, and he um, he's also quite known um, as an artist... Um, Scott Lewington might um, relate because he's a, a political, he's an artist who's been involved in a lot of protesting, hence why the Sri Lankan government um, um, has been attempting to persecute him. Mm, that's a tough wicket over there to mm. be a political artist. And an activist as well. <laughs> yeah. um, there'll be a public meeting on Sunday on whether the um, refugee narrative can be shifted. That is also part of the Melbourne Writers' Festival. Um, it's going to feature a range of speakers and uh, it's going to be discussing how can we shift the narrative and the language used when talking about asylum seekers to become more welcoming and positive. That's going to be at 11.30am at the Deakin Edge Federation Square. Um, there'll be, uh, mentioned before, there'll be Justice for Eli rally um, Saturday, 10, at 10, um, Saturday the 10th of um, 10th of September at 12pm at the State Parliament of Victoria. Um, on also happening on September the 10th will be a campaign launch for Sue Bolton for Moreland, um, which will be um, launching um, will be the launch of the campaign to re-elect Moreland Socialist Councillor Sue Bolton. Um, there'll be speakers, food and drinks and music, and it'll be at 6:30 p.m. at the Antonio Cultural Centre, 195 Sydney Road, um, which is 100 metres south of Renard Street. Um, this is um, the next thing here has been um, advertised quite frequent um, has been advertised quite frequently on free CR I'm pretty sure it's not one of the announcements but there'll be a national peace and anti-war gathering um, in Alice Springs from September 26th to October the 2nd it'll be the IPAN National Conference and for more info you can visit IPAN Okay, um, that is and also the last thing which will be a good segue into our interview um, Earth Worker Walk with the Rally. Um, Earth Worker is calling on friends and supporters to walk together in solidarity with people in La Trobe Rally and call on our government to commit to concrete plans to protect livelihood and the environment. Um, that, there's no dates on this. I guess we'll ha- have to find out the dates from our interview. I, I from feel like it, it starts on the 19th of September in, uh, I think it starts in Frankston. Yeah, and it's like going to be like a big long walk for the Newbugs. Yeah, big long walk from the city out to the La Trobe Valley to raise awareness of the need for a, a transition yep. away from coal and to alternative jobs and renewable energy. Oh, yeah. Okay, so um, I guess that's... Um, we'll, go, we'll just play an announcement and probably go into our interview. 
Okay, so we've got um, Anna from Earthworker to give us more information on the walk with the valley. Welcome, Anna. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so, what's, uh, what's happening for the walk with the valley? Tell us a bit about this uh, upcoming epic walk from the city out to Latrobe Valley. Yes, it's a little bit epic. So we're walking 100 kilometres, so from Pakenham on the edge of Melbourne to Morwell in the middle of the Latrobe Valley. Um, The idea behind it is, uh, I guess, like to highlight the need for just transition for the Latrobe Valley. We're trying to get community involved and also trying to put pressure on the state government to basically commit to the things that they keep saying they're going to do around, you know, job creation and and a transition plan for the valley. Hmm. Yeah, uh, the Andrews government has sort of taken a a half-decent position on some issues, including um, the the just recently announced this week this ban on coal seam gas uh, in Victoria. What, What is... What has the Andrews government said about the transition in, in the valley? What sort of policies or, or kind of broad statements have they made? Um, so they've said a lot of good things. Um, there's a lot of support within the Andrews government for earth workers, for Voices of the Valley, for groups that are trying to like, make transition happen. Um, they have committed uh, $40 million towards transition to the valley, um, that money hasn't been spent. It hasn't been committed to anything concrete yet. So I guess what we're saying is, like, you've, you've said that that money's there. You've said that you want to, you know, to put in place a plan to support the Valley and, the, you know, the transition that's going to happen, whether we, you know, work it out nicely or not. Um, but we want that money to be actually, like, committed to, to concrete projects and to start to be used. Hmm. And what's the latest with Earthworker Cooperative um, in terms of having, I guess, uh, plant and machinery on the ground in the Latrobe Valley that's in a position to be set up? Yeah, so we've got um, all our equipment now in a facility down in Morwell. Uh, So we had a bit of a... A massive move, got all of that down there. It's not currently um, operating, mm-hmm. so at the moment it's just like it's sitting there and it's waiting until we're in a position where we can start manufacturing again. Um, probably in the short term, we'll be using it for just like small jobs and partnership with like there's a few local businesses who are keen to um, to work on a few things with it. Um, and then, yeah, obviously as soon as we can get off the ground manufacturing the um, hot water tanks will be doing that but you know it's a matter of getting together the the resources required for like retraining and setup costs hmm and uh, so what do you reckon would be an, an initial step for earth worker if there was a portion of that $40 million transition fund available, what's an, an example or some examples of how Earthwork or Cooperative might use that to ramp up the hot water production? So what we're after at the moment and what we've been, like we've um, been in talks with the state government for a while now, 
is we're not actually asking for, like, we're not asking for them to give us money. We're asking for a loan, and we want that loan coupled with procurement to put solar hot water into uh, public housing. Mm. So if we got just a portion of, of that work, um, which obviously would benefit us in that, you know, off the back of that work we could set up in the Latrobe Valley, it would benefit the valley because there'd be jobs created, um, you know, in a more sustainable industry. But, like, clearly also it would be a huge win for low-income folks in public housing because you're putting in technology that's going to save them money as well as allowing them to reduce their carbon emissions. Um, yeah, so that's what we're asking for at the moment is procurement into public housing and then a loan off the back of that, which we can easily repay from that work generated. Yeah, um, what, um, so Anna, what can you tell me about, um, you know, for people who would like to probably, um, participate in, um, the work? What are the kind of logistics and cost and, um, and also another question, I guess, in touch with it is it's, um, how, what's the dates for the work and, um, is it possible for, for people to join in at any point? Is it sort of de- designed like that or do you have to be in for the whole walk? Yeah, so um, the dates are the 19th to the 25th of September, so it's coming up pretty soon now. Um, we're, you know, we're trying to make it as accessible as possible for folks if they, you know, obviously not everyone can walk 100 kilometres over a week. Um, so you can join for the whole week or you can just join for a day or even if, you know, you want to come and meet us for a meal if you live in one of the towns or, you know, you want to help out in other ways, but you're not able to walk the distance, then, you know, you can come and volunteer on a support vehicle or just come along to the last day in the, when we arrive in Morwell, we're going to have a bit of a celebration and a little bit of a bush dancing gig um, on that Sunday afternoon. So folks are more than welcome to just come along down to Morwell for the afternoon and have a bit of a, bit of a dance and celebrate arriving. Are you gonna have um are you gonna have a film crew with you during the walk? Um we had hoped to film the walk. At this stage that's still a little bit up in the air. Um, we'll probably uh have little sections of it that we'll get some footage of. Um but yeah, at the moment we haven't been able to put in place a, a film crew for the whole walk. Hmm. Yeah, nice. I'll be good to see some uh coverage of that all right and so how do people um yeah sign up so get involved um if you go to walkwiththevalley.org there's a bunch more information on there that's also where people can make donations so we're getting walkers to um to get sponsored for the walk and the money that's raised will go towards both setting up Eureka's future workers cooperative and also um voices of the valley have a team as well and so they're seeking funding towards their transition centre um, but yeah if you do want to come on the walk itself uh, if you could jump online and register today or tomorrow at the latest because we need to have numbers confirmed by Monday obviously it's two weeks out and we need to order food and such things um, but yeah that's walkwiththevalley.org Rad alright well um yeah, best of luck, and we'll uh, we'll have to get a bit of a progress update and do a report as it's uh, happening. Yeah, for sure. All right, thanks, each Anna. Yeah, thank thanks. you very much.
And, uh, yeah, talk to you again soon. Yep. Cheers. Bye. All right. Uh, Anna Bordenberg there, Earthworker Cooperative Organiser, talking about uh, Walk With The Valley. And, yeah, as she said, check that out, Work with walkwiththevalley.org, if you're able to donate to support that or if you want to uh, join and be part of it. Okay, so we're back on the air with Green Left, um, Green Left Radio. Sorry for the um, bit of technical... Um, there was a bit of silence there just before, so... <laughs> Never mind that. Okay, so um, what's, uh, I guess we can um, round up with uh, some news stories. Um, I guess one thing we haven't really talked about is um, what's happening internationally. We've talked about a lot about um, Australian news and all our interviews were... Well, what, not what, actually, one of our interviews was about international news. Um, but um, I guess in the latest Green Left Weekly, um, there's we got article. There's an article on um, on, for example, on the um, on the um, the aftermath of the Olympics. This is written by a sports journalist called Dave Zinnin. Um, oh, Dave Zirin, this dude rocks. Yeah, um, so th- he wrote an article about um, about sort of the aftermath of the Olympics mm. in Rio. Uh, and actually, there's also another article. This is actually a separate article. Actually, maybe we'll talk about this article first um, because it's actually quite relevant to what Dave Zirin writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that in um, Brazil, um, in Rio... Um, that um, a number of corporations had paid no, literally no tax in um, during the Olympics, and these corporations include Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Visa, and the rest of the corporate sponsors of the August 5th to 21st Olympic Games in Rio um, will not be paying any taxes due to a tax exemption law that is set to cost um, Brazil um, millions of dollars. Um, this uh, exemption, which lasts until December 31st, 2007, excludes from tax venue um, generated by advertising, product sales, imports, and any other activity related to the organisation of the games. And, you know, I guess that kind of like, you know, you know, sums it up um, in like, you know, what the, what the Olympics actually does to some of these poor kind of third world countries. Essentially, it's a way for um, all these corporations to um, to come in and make massive profits off mm. these sort of tax exemptions, and but then of course they um, but the but ultimately the real um, people that suffer are the people in those um, the people in Brazil who are going to have to pay the costs for this because um, what this leads to is um, massive amounts of debt, mm. which means the government is then um, and then employs austerity measures to cut the living standards of, um, pe- of um, um, the pe- people in Brazil. And I guess um, uh, it's, it's um, in Dave's articles, he talks about, you know, now that, you know, the, um, the real story starts in Rio now, like, you know, the real kind of struggle because, you know, now that the 2016 games are over, with the most discussed dramas being empty seats and the lies of an overprivileged jury, um, the the real story begins with the story of how badly the Olympics will end uh, um, up warping the city itself. Um, you know, uh, you know, in in the context of Brazil, there's like a big co- there's a coup attempt against uh, there's a coup oh well there was a coup it was a successful coup attempt against a democratically elected. Mm. Um, leader Dilma Rousseff, uh, and of course, um, there's there's um, uh, in Rio. There's also things happening like you know, academic police violence, where one in five homicides in Rio last year were committed by law enforcement, as Dave Zinn writes here. Bloody hell! Uh, you know, hey, he 
um, Dave Zinnan writes, you know, having just returned from Rio, I can write with confidence that the mood in the streets is not anger or compliance. It is apprehension. You know, it is apprehension over what is going to happen after the international media leave to chase next um, story. And it's apprehension about a city where real estate has values commensurate with the Bay Area of the United States, yet poverty stalks families who just a few years ago felt like their future was was bright. And he mm. quotes, as one woman, a teacher named Marella, t- said to me, Bruins are of two minds. There's a disapproval of the event, not the sports. People are supporting the sports. But when you're living here in Rio, things have gotten, you know, in, and because of the Olympics, things have gotten more expensive. Um, it is very difficult to be living in the city at the moment and compiled with all the problems that the city is facing. But Brazilians do have this ability to differentiate between the games and the sport and what's happening. It is the what is happening which should scare everyone. Who cares about this city? It's the what's happening that should be a court arms for every member of the media who practiced journalism in Rio and then left for home. This is the rest of the Rio story. It is the story about the people who hosted the Olympics under impossible conditions only to find that the games were staged on their backs. The story will be about how Rio continues to buckle or straightens its spine. Hmm. There's a bit of science there. <laughs> well, I don't know. Just got to wait and see what happens there, I think. But, uh, yeah, these developments with the government over there, with the Conservatives yep. continuing to sort of, uh, I guess, entrench this coup that they've waged against the, uh, the what is it, the Brazilian Workers' Party, uh, the government of Dilma Rousseff. So, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. And history has been that, like... In, in Greece, that was a an aspect of their deteriorating uh, economic situation was the massive debt from putting on the Athens Games. Yep. Um, of course, actually in Brazil, and it, and it actually, um, you know, it wasn't just the Olympics. In fact, that Brazil had to endure this during the World Cup. Um, you know, when they hosted the World Cup just a few years ago. Um, mm. You know, um, you know, no one has anything against um, against these massive sports events. In fact, we, in fact, I'm sure, as it said in the article, the Brazilian people probably love you know the whole competition the spectacle of these sports mm. but it's it's unfortunate that it comes at this effect of you know these may these multinational corporations essentially coming in and and exploiting them mm, um, vultures like vultures I, I wonder what like a socialist internationalist olympics would look like you could have like a a fund where people different countries chuck in and the olympics is kind of cooperatively funded by different countries so that instead of one country that's potentially a pretty poor country having to shell out heaps of money to to try and uh pull off this glitzy sort of opportunity to showcase themselves it could instead be an opportunity for the olympics to contribute to bringing these facilities to countries that would otherwise struggle to pay for them. And um, in just in, in terms of actually locally, in, um, in a few years' time, there'll be the Commonwealth Games coming up and um, the Indigenous community in Brisbane are actually already starting to organise protests against the Games because essentially, you know, it's celebrating... The Commonwealth Games is essentially celebrating colonial, um, colonialism and um, the whole kind of slogan is, you know, no pro- um, you know, colonialism is not a game. Um, we should have no pride in, 
in colonialism and um, that will be um, something to look out for in the next few years, the kind of struggles and protests that occur um, in response to the Commonwealth Games. Mm. Um, so that we, that'll be interesting. And there'll also be... Um, there'll also be uh, another, there's also, good, um, in the World Cup, in terms of sports, um, there's going to be... Um, the World Cup is apparently going to be hosted at Qatar, which is going to involve, um, you know, the massive exploitation of labour, of so many, of so much labour. And in fact, there's also the fact that there's lots of health risks associated with the with the players who would be competing in that competition because um, many people possibly would know that Qatar is a very hot country and it's definitely not suitable to host um, the World Cup, especially playing in um, in the outdoors where there will be lots of, you know, soccer. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of like, you know, interesting... Oh, yes, we've got to wind up. Um, it's also kind of interesting, I guess, I'm going to end it with a final point, that um, sometimes sports is seen as something that's not political, but, you know, sports is a heavily kind of political thing. And in fact, there's actually another recent story that, unfortunately, about the United States mm-hmm. that we can't... Um, we very much about. can't. Yes. So All right, uh, stick around. Beyond Zero Emissions is uh, coming up next. All right. Thanks again to our guests.